uh, price issue of those uh, uh, electricity companies. So they are now allowed to work more on a market mechanism. So that's why we are not seeing uh, this issue to be reported so frequently in the media. Well, Alex, look, thank you very much for coming in this morning. And also, thank you very much for your contributions throughout uh, 2021. And we look forward to hearing from you again in 2022. And in the meantime, have a very happy new year. That's Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up just over 1% at the moment. The Kosambi in South Korea uh, is flat. The Hang Seng looks like it's going to open about 100 points higher. Uh, in the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at $78.61 a barrel. And gold is uh, at $1,811 an ounce. Uh, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Tomorrow morning, we'll do another review of... Um, 2021 and look forward to 2022 with Hao Hong, Head of Research at Ocom International. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for today. Mainly cloudy, one or two rain patches at first. Sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 17 degrees. Fine and dry in the next few days. Temperatures will rise slightly during the day, but it will still be cool in the morning and at night. There is a cold weather warning in force. It's 14 degrees right now, 75% relative humidity. Stay tuned for back chats coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Ada Wong. 8.31 and a half, here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. The government says no confirmed cases were found when it ordered the lockdown of a residential building in Shektong Choi after a person who lives there tested preliminary positive for a mutant strain of COVID-19. The lockdown of One South Lane started at 10.30 p.m. and was lifted at 7 a.m. About 80 residents were tested. France is the latest European country to tighten restrictions to curb the spread of the Omicron COVID variant. The Prime Minister Jean Castex described the pandemic as feeling like a film without an ending. But the BBC's Hugh Schofield says the measures are less restrictive than anticipated. People had been talking about curfews, maybe particularly on New Year's Eve. There's no New Year's Eve curfew. People have been talking about delaying the start of the school term next Monday. No, that's not going to happen. But there are these other measures. For example, new limits on the number of people at stadiums, 5,000 for football matches and so on. This new push on home working and the new rule about consuming drinks and food at bars and restaurants. You can only do that sitting down. So it's not a drastic change, but it is a change which will make people think twice about going out, think twice about their behaviour, covering up and so on, where we've seen you know, people beginning to think that it was all over, but it obviously isn't. President Biden has urged state governors to ask the U.S. federal authorities for help if they struggle to cope with the surge in COVID infections. Mr. Biden told an online meeting Americans didn't need to panic and insisted the country was well prepared to deal with the sharp rise in the cases of the Omicron variant. Because we have had so many vaccinated and boosted, We're not seeing hospitalizations rise as sharply as we did in March of 2020 or even this past fall. Things are better, but we do know that with the rising cases, we still have tens of millions of unvaccinated people and we're seeing hospitalizations rise. It means our hospitals in some places are going to get overrun, both in terms of equipment and staff. 
The Indian government has refused to renew permission that's vital for the Roman Roman Catholic charity founded by the late Nobel laureate Mother Teresa to receive foreign funds. The Missionaries of Charity has thousands of nuns supervising projects such as homes for abandoned children, schools, clinics, and hospices. The BBC's Ambarasan Athirajan reports from from Delhi. The Indian Home Ministry said it did not renew permission to Missionaries of Charity under the Foreign Contribution Regulation Act because of what it described as some adverse inputs. It did not provide details. One church leader described the freezing of accounts as a cruel Christmas gift to the poorest of the poor. Hindu right-wing groups in the past have accused the Missionaries of Charity of carrying out religious conversions by offering food, free education and shelter to poor Hindus and people from indigenous communities. The organization has denied the allegations. Thank you for tuning in to the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Janice. Today we're talking about the latest in the COVID-19 pandemic and the pending demise of food trucks. Hong Kong is once again on high alert as officials warn that the risk of a community outbreak of the Omicron variant is now high, as more people are returning from overseas at a time when cases are surging around the world. The pandemic is wreaking havoc on international travel. And locally, officials warn tighter restrictions could be imposed if Omicron hits. The warning comes as booster shots will be made available to all fully vaccinated adults from New Year's Day, while 12 to 17-year-olds can get their second Biontech jab. How well prepared are we for an Omicron outbreak? Will the vaccination rate rise enough to protect the community? Or is a fifth wave of cases inevitable? After 9.15 a.m., we'll look at food trucks. After the government decided to pull the truck, pull the plug in June after a four-year experiment. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or why not just give us a call on 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Professor Lau Yulung, who chairs the Government Scientific Committee on Vaccine Preventable Diseases. And Professor Roberto Brissoni, the co-director of the University of Hong Kong's Pasteur Research Poll. Good morning to the both of you. Good morning. Let's uh, start with you, Professor Brissoni. Uh, looking at the overall COVID-19 development worldwide, how worried should we be? Well, not, I would say not more than certainly less than we were a year ago because we have a, a good vaccine, which is not perfect, but it's a very good vaccine. Uh, the vaccination campaign may have been a little bit slower here in Hong Kong, but uh, I think uh, over 70% of people have already received the vaccine. And all the data that we have available from the new uh, um, coronavirus, the new so-called Omicron variant now circulating, indicate uh, that is less severe than uh, the variants, than the strains that circulated before. So that's the situation the way I see it now. Health officials here say the risk of an Omicron community outbreak is high, with many people returning to Hong Kong from overseas. How high is this risk? I don't know, because there are you know, certain uh, um, restrictions in place at the moment. The point is that we, we definitely know, not just for this coronavirus, but for 
any respiratory new respiratory disease, whether it's a completely new influenza strains, etc., that there's going to be also a number of cycles of infection and reinfection in spite of vaccination. And that is what, in the end, together with the vaccination campaign, will contain the virus. So even if there are more than 10,000 cases in Hong Kong, the ones that we have been officially uh, documented, clearly the vast, vast majority, more than 90%, 95%, 99% of the population has not seen the virus. So a virus that hits even a vaccinated population will hit at a reduced um, severity, but it will hit. So if the goal is zero, if we can have 500 people dying of influenza every year, but we cannot have one person dying of coronavirus now, clearly it's going to be um, a serious uh, situation. And um, I understand uh, from you know other data that the Omicron variant is less severe, as you said, um, than uh, you know, uh, people who are abroad, people who are overseas, they don't need to be hosp- hospitalized, but they, um, you know, they are isolated yeah. in their homes. Yeah. Um, how come Hong Kong can't do that? Uh, because the secretary said that um, the Asia World Expo will have a few hundred more beds uh, for, um, for, the, for the patients. It seems that uh, hospitalization is the only way. Uh, well, I don't know. This is the um, option that the Hong Kong government has taken. Uh, it's not the option that many other governments uh, have taken. So I think that uh, I'm sure that, uh, good morning, uh, Yolong, uh, he, you know, being a clinician, uh, um, he knows a little bit more about the numbers of beds. And, uh, but again, I mean, this is an option. That's not the only option possible. It's a, it's a, a decision made by the government, and, you know, they have to live by that decision All right. or change it. All right, uh, let's uh, bring in Professor Lau. Um, what do you think? Uh, like, like Ada just mentioned, the government is now making preparations for a possible COVID-19 outbreak, including putting uh, 500 isolation beds on standby at the Asia World Expo. Um, is that enough? Well, I think it's better than none. Uh, but we have to realise um, the purpose of vaccination is not actually to prevent infection, it's to prevent severe disease, hospitalisation, ICU care, uh, and that, uh, indeed, WHO has uh, iterated and reiterated that is the purpose. The problem now is um, in the public sort of media, as well as you know, in social media, people are putting so much focus on infection. Indeed, uh, for coronavirus, uh, from the history of coronavirus, um, you aren't going to get a complete prevention of infection, even after natural infection. Uh, and surely after two or three doses of uh, vaccination, you still get the infection. But the point is that after you've got the infection or reinfection or breakthrough infection, their severity is much milder. Um, and that has been self-observed again and again and again. So I think that message must be drumming uh, so people will not lose confidence in vaccination uh, because they understand uh, vaccination is to prevent severe disease. And they do not lose confidence because in the newspaper they keep uh, seeing reports, oh my God, it's got two or three doses, they still got infected. So I think that is the number one public health message that must get out. And once you've achieved a certain degree of immunity, whether through infection or through vaccination, then when the Omicron hit, uh, even if you got the infection, uh, the severity or the need of hospitalization is much reduced. 
So the number one message is still to get those who are unvaccinated vaccinated. And indeed, uh, in Hong Kong, the most vulnerable group will be the over 80 years old. And the vaccination coverage is only 20%, only 20%. So indeed, if we put so much effort in the isolation beds and so on, uh, we must spare enough effort to make sure that 80% of over 80 years old elderly would be able to get a vaccination. And of course, the step of sending in mobile vaccination team using, you know, um, you know, the containers um, and so on uh, is the first step. And I suppose one could even set a kind of uh, expectation if you can't get to 50% uh, uptick uh, among the elderly by a certain time, then you should start thinking of sending in vaccination team to the elderly who actually live. Some of them are not really very mobile. Uh, some of them are living on their own. So we, we must focus on that group. And hopefully, uh, by then, the 70 to 79 would increase the uptick from now, I think, just touching 40 to 50% to even a higher rate. So that's the number one. Because when Omicron hit, uh, those who get sick and ill will be unvaccinated and elderly. So the, the two factors, those are the, the most severe risk factors uh, that will... Um, of end up in hospital. Um, so I think sometimes uh, we just put so much effort in picking, uh, you know, the third dose. Yes, the third dose will help. But in terms of the return uh, of really, really getting people stay out of hospital, it's that elderly group. Uh, of course, the third dose is correct. It's needed, uh, especially uh, in, say, in Europe and in America, where they do not adopt uh, what we call a zero or low uh, a COVID strategy. So uh, in terms of their protection uh, at the community level is vaccination. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but in Hong Kong, as long as we still adopt a zero or near zero COVID uh, strategy, uh, then uh, I suppose the, 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 the timing of the vaccination of a third dose uh, can be extended as what we have done uh, for the adolescents uh, because we understand the mRNA platform is indeed a very good vaccine, but we have observed for young male, the myocarditis rate in Hong Kong is much higher than that in the United States, uh, reported by CDs. And therefore, by extending from 21 days uh, to now, uh, so for three months, we'll be able to reduce the myocarditis uh, rate by one-tenth. So what I'm trying to say, we must understand how we use a vaccine. We must maximize its benefits and minimize its harm. Uh, so that is the way uh, to go. And we do not need to get panic. Um, I don't think anyone should panic. <laughs> Once you get panic, uh, you don't respond rationally. And looking at the big picture, I think uh, at the moment, uh, the overall strategy is still quite reasonable. Because, yes. uh, yeah, Professor Lau, um, I was going to ask you, you know, how important is the third jab? From what you just said, um, it seems that uh, targeting the high-risk group, which are those um, people over 80, uh, would be a well better strategy or should be a concurrent strategy. We've been talking about this for many, many times now. Um, why, why are um, older people in Hong Kong still so hesitant um, for one, I understand that they are very afraid of the um, side effects. But now with the Omicron, um, I, I guess it's very important for them to get the first two jabs instead of people like me. You know, I have my two jabs ready to get a third jab. Is that correct? 
I'm not saying you do not get a third job. Uh, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, what I'm trying uh, to say in terms of the return that you will get uh, in reducing deaths, ICU care hospitalization to over 80 years old uh, is the most fruitful uh, sort of avenue to go down. But at the same time, it, because, you know, 80 years old, I think uh, in terms of the number of 80 years is about 400,000 and about, I, I think, uh, if you take and give, then maybe, maybe 80,000 uh, already got uh, the vaccination. However, if you look at the whole population, we've got, you know, 7.5 million pop. So there's still a large number of the not so vulnerable in terms of the age, in terms of, you know, but those are still big numbers. So if you can get the third jab, so when Omicron hit, and you still will be able to reduce in terms of percentage points, uh, quite appreciable percentage points of people uh, uh, getting at least the symptoms or even severe disease and so on. Uh, but I'll give you an example. I mean, in countries like Nigeria, Ethiopia, um, in terms of the share of the people who got vaccinated, is still running about 5 to 10%. Um, so if you uh, take a, a person who needs three meals a day, uh, so, I mean, uh, we are getting the third meal now. Um, and in Hong Kong, I think 1.5 million people, according to our policy, they've already had the second jab six months ago. So they are sort of ready for the third meal, right? And about a quarter of them already had the third meal. But in some countries, they are talking about the fourth jab, the fifth jab, and, and so on. I mean, that is uh, totally sort of um, beyond me. And WHO has already mentioned, in order for us to get out of pandemic, I think every country, every human being in the world should have at least two square meals. Uh, of course, the third meal would be wonderful. Uh, but until we manage to solve the problem at a global level, we aren't going to um, stop seeing new variants. I mean, you know, you know you've got the Omicron, but there are so many uh, Greek alphabets. You get the Omega. You know, if we, we don't get our act together. And so in terms of vaccination rate, Hong Kong is um, not too bad and not too good. We are just slightly above the world average figure. The average world figure is about 57%. And Hong Kong, if you take you know, the, the more denominator, is 7.5 million. And we are just about uh, 64%. So we are really trailing behind, uh, like, uh, you know, country in this region that we're very fond of going. Thailand is better than us, 73%. Japan is 80%. Singapore is better at 88%. So there's still a lot of work, you know, in terms of getting the vaccination uptake. Uh, All right, Professor Lau, I know uh, now, now I get your message. You're saying that uh, the uh, the booster shot is uh, correct and uh, it's important. But um, what advice do you have uh, for people who have had two shots, but then they have uh, they experience uh, serious side effects uh, from BioNTech? What, what advice do you have for them? Should they get a third shot of BioNTech or mix vaccines and get a Sinovac uh, booster shot? Okay. Now, uh, because I believe in choice, uh, so those who actually... Do not feel too bad after the first two jabs of BioNTech and if, if, if they think, yes, I, I want the third jab, go ahead. Uh, there's nothing wrong about it. In, indeed, um, in the JSC, there's a Joint Sensory Committee. That is the recommendation. It's highly recommended to get the third jab. And that is based on sort of laboratory tests and knowing the third jab, if it is a BioNTech, you get a much higher antibody response. But after <laughs> said that, I need to tell you, even after the third jab, there will be a jump of antibody, but there are multiple studies coming out now, the first from Germany and a few other, that it will decrease. 
in terms of the level quite quickly against Omicron. Within 10 weeks uh, to 12 weeks, it's dropped significantly again. So that, again, it testifies that the vaccination is not to stop the infection. So even if you've got three doses of <laughs> BioNTech, after several months, you are going to get to a state that you're going to be reinfected. That is the history of coronavirus. Uh, but of course, you could argue, my goodness, uh, maybe uh, you, you, you can reduce, uh, sort of after a hundred third shot, you could reduce one case of hospitalization. Yes, that might be the case. And that is how uh, the Europeans and Americans are really, because they're facing such an enormous tsunami, I would not even call it a wave. If you look at uh, some of the web page, like I will in data, I've never seen an epidemic curve actually go up vertically, basically vertically. I mean, that is never seen before. My God. So the transmissibility is so high. And with that scale, even with a small percentage of people getting sick, uh, the, the, the healthcare system is going to be overwhelmed. And indeed, once that is overwhelmed, the death rate will go up. And, and what kind of lessons could we learn from, um, you know, high vaccination rates like in Singapore to encourage our elderly population to get their first jab and not, not, not thinking about the second yeah. and third yet? Okay. Uh, no, no, you just think both together. I yeah. don't think that yeah. we need to exclude one. You know. Yeah, there are still a lot of people who are so afraid to, to, take, uh, yeah. to get the jab. Yeah, yeah. I think there's accessibility uh, as well. So sending our mobile teams uh, to, you know, housing estates, and I think they need to mobilize uh, sort of local organizations that know that community well and they understand the spread of the elderly where they live and so on and go up to their house. And that's what Singapore did, you know, uh, six months ago. They actually sent teams of vaccinators to the house. Um, and then, of course, oh, yeah, sure, I mean, they will get it. I mean, a lot of old folks are actually not actually getting out, uh, especially for those over 80, for those who are still mobile. Uh, I suppose they, are, they, they, they probably would have already got their, their vaccination. And of course, there's the hesitancy and not only the accessibility. And of course, we need to iterate and reiterate again. And I've already uh, mentioned a couple of times, uh, because there's studies to show uh, kind of incentives like a supermarket coupon or cash coupon. They're not trying to buy them to get the vaccination, but it's a, a kind of appreciation uh, for the elderly. Because that has been done uh, in other countries and even in America because of the desperation in New York. Uh, they offer people got a third job, 100 US dollars, uh, you know, coupon. I've not <laughs> verified that source, but that's what I've read uh, from the news. And so I, I think we just have to pull all the, sort of, not the tricks, but all, all the means that we can uh, use uh, to, to help the elderly to get the first and the a second jab, and, and, and I think that has not been put too much uh, resources or priority. And, and uh, because, you know, um, uh, the third dose is easy because um, everyone is talking about the third dose. But mind you, um, other countries already have the elderly uh, uh, well covered, but not Hong Kong. So I think whatever recommendation, we must look at our own situation. Where is our, you know, the, our, 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 our deficiency? And try to correct that. And right. the thing, same for the for the adolescents. Uh, why we stop the dose two? Uh, after we stop the dose two, the myocarditis just dropped like a stone. But it's still up here. Um, and of course, the third dose, I have to iterate again. You still get myocarditis after the third dose beyond that. Uh, but the rate 
uh, is much lower than the second dose, but it's higher than the first dose, and that was borne out uh, by the Israel. Um, so I, I think Hong Kong citizens are clever, and what we need to do is to try to convey as accurate and as uh, up-to-date information for them to decide. So my, 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 my very long-winded answer to your question is got to travel beyond that, you're still a bit of afraid because, you know, you, you don't have a good experience, then switch to Sinovac, Coronavac. There's nothing, nothing to prevent you from doing that. And that is put in our statement. Although it's highly recommended to a beyond that, those, uh, the personal choice is very well respected. Um, All right, uh, so, Professor Lau, I know you need to rush off. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Lau Yulong, who chairs the government's scientific committee on vaccine-preventable diseases. Thank you. Um, so, Professor Brazzoni, what do you think of the booster expansion arra- arrangement? Well, they're very good. They're, they're needed. I mean, I've said for a long time that uh, uh, we will have to have seasonal uh, vaccination campaigns not necessarily of 80% of all the population. But as also Professor Lau was reminding, and as I said before, there's going to be a number of cycles of infection, vaccination, etc., in order to stabilize uh, the uh, cohabitation, coexistence of this virus with uh, the human population. So we need uh, to have that, uh, and I think that there is no problem want to do it they should uh, they should definitely do it uh, but uh, again i mean uh, knowing that uh, probably in one year time there will be something different uh, and if we continue to have as news only the level of so-called antibody protection to the new coronavirus in town the new strain of this coronavirus in town then we're going to have this i would say pointless news for quite some time and earlier, Professor Lau, he stressed the importance of a booster shot, but there are some pharmaceutical companies developing new vaccines targeted yeah. at Omicron. I mean, should, should people wait for that instead? Wait is not always a good idea if you can do things before. I mean, waiting for how long? If there is a clear timeline, if Hong Kong can say, well, we have bought these many doses that will prevent it. And then by the time... Uh, we get the dose, maybe there's going to be another uh, variant. The point is that this variant is much less uh, severe than before, but still, it's a respiratory uh, virus. It's winter. Some people are more susceptible. We are not yet completely used to it. Uh, and yes, uh, there's going to be some uh, serious issues in hospitals, etc. So we need to accept that because there is nothing else that we can do about it unless people want to stay at home and live um, this way. That is, a, that is also an option. It, it's not the one I, I recommend. But uh, yeah. and, and just to compare, the BioNTech or the mRNA uh, vaccines are better, you know, uh, and offer um, a better antibody response to, for example, Sinovac or other inactivated yeah. vaccines? Is that yeah, correct? but you know, again, I mean, the, the point is also a vaccine that you can easily store, that can, you can easily deploy. So some of the new vaccines may be more easily stored because they can be stored. I think uh, the Novavax, for example, at, uh, at in, uh, in, a, in a normal refrigerator. So the cold chain is easy to maintain and it can be very good. You can probably buy it in, uh, from a pharmacy. Uh, your general practitioner doesn't need to have any special equipment to store it, to do it for you. This is what will become something uh, a little bit more normal. And also, people should be 
being reminded that there is what we call immunological memory, that there is no clear study that indicates that only if you have a certain level of antibodies, you will not have severe complications from this infection. There is no study that can say that. We have immunological memory, and there are many components when we are infected that contribute to overcoming the challenge from the virus and, and moving on. So to reduce this to a, a number of ant antibody titer, I think is scientifically not correct. And uh, what about uh, um, earlier, uh, Professor Lau was talking, I mean, well, I asked Professor Lau about mixing vaccines. Uh, what's your view on that? I mean, for it people can who be had... done. I mean, I'm sure that we have mixed vaccines before with influenza. You know, sometimes we have one vaccine. The following year, we have another vaccine. So I think that as long as there is, you know, vaccination can induce a good response. There is, you know, to, to decide that if you have a third boost with one vaccine, again, what is the, the, the criteria? Oh, my antibodies only go up to 140. Oh, no, 1 to 180. Oh, no, 1 to 160. You know, these numbers, you know, okay, yes. But the, the, this is not the way we, we, we approach a public health problem from a societal point of view, from a, a, a really a, the way that the community uh, should, uh, should leave this problem. It cannot be reduced only to the fact that there is a greater boost in one uh, component of the immune system that can be measured in an in vitro system in our laboratory as the gold standard, the only factor uh, to control this uh, this pandemic. All right, uh, all right, uh, Professor Brazzone, I'm afraid we have to take a yeah. short break. Uh, we can continue our discussion after the news at nine, when we'll be also be joined by Dr. Samuel Kwok, medical director of the vaccination clinic at the Kun Chung Sports Center in Jordan. A uh, quick look at the weather. It will be a mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches to start with, sunny intervals later with highs of around 17 degrees. Right now it's 14 degrees and the relative humidity is 76%. which itself is facing legal action and possible closure this week. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're talking about the latest in the COVID-19 pandemic. Still with us on the program is Professor Roberto Brissoni, the co-director of the University of Hong Kong's Pasteur Research Poll. And also on the line now is Dr. Samuel Kwok, medical director of the clinic at the Kun Chung Sports Center in Jordan. Good morning, Dr. Kwok. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So currently, only people who received uh, two Sinovac jabs and those in high-risk groups such as the elderly and the immunocompromised are eligible for a third COVID vaccine shot. What's been the situation at your vaccination centre? Uh, have there been many people getting their booster shots? Um, because uh, we're starting this first dose for maybe kind of two, three weeks ago, and we see an increase in number. And uh, in, the, in the last few days, we see an average about um, 800 to about 1,000 people coming for the jabs every day. So uh, it's kind of about um, half of our capacity. And do you expect uh, many people to get their third shot after the booster program is expanded further from New Year's Day? Uh, yeah, that would be expected because um, the government start um, giving the third dose for almost everybody. 
age uh, above 18, uh, starting from the 1st of January. So there would be a lot more people uh, eligible to come. And um, I, I would expect uh, there would be maybe uh, another 50% uh, up of, of the average number of day. Professor Brizzoni, what do you think? Do you expect the booster shot to be popular among people who've had uh, two Biontech shots? No, I, I, I cannot make such a prediction. Uh, personally, I did it, and um, I think I know other people who did. Uh, if you have the possibility of doing it, it's anyway something that will definitely boost your uh, immune response to this and other um, variants of this, strains of this coronavirus. I think, uh, yes, I'm not sure whether it will be very popular or not. The point is that nothing is associated to to something else. Say, if I get a booster shot, then I can do this, this, and that. It's exactly the same, whether you have two doses, three doses, or zero doses. So I think that this is also something, if, if, if the government believe, not believe, are convinced, which is the case, that this vaccine is a good one and it is important in preventing deaths or minimizing the risk of severe uh, burden to the uh, health system, then they should make uh, some decisions that go in that sense. Um, Dr. Kwok, where you are in the uh, Jordan and Yaomate area is uh, quite a multicultural community in Hong Kong. Um, have you ever experienced um, difficulties in, um, you know, in your centre communicating with um, Hong Kong uh, residents uh, of uh, different ethnic backgrounds? Well, yeah, yeah, we we do see quite a good number of uh, uh, minor ethnic groups in our centre, uh, but it's been like that since the opening of the vaccination centre in Guangzhou. So uh, we've been uh, quite accustomed to that and. In, in early days, sometimes uh, we, we do even have interpreters uh, to, to assist people uh, communicating. But now I think uh, people are so used to it that uh, people just, no, we don't, have, we don't see a problem in uh, communicating with those people. Is it more difficult to encourage them to come in for their vaccination? Um, we do uh, push out a few projects of uh, encouraging minor ethnic groups through some NGOs before, a few, few, few months ago. And that seems to be quite uh, successful in terms of encouraging some of those uh, uh, community to come to our centers. And this kind of people are really coming, uh, you know, they, they, they do come uh, every day, but of course not in great numbers. But um, yeah, that's, they, they, people seem to be get, getting used to it mm. and, and do it in our center. What, what about people uh, above 80 years old? Uh, what could be a good strategy to, uh, to get them, oh, you know, for, um, for that, their jobs? That's a difficult bit in our current Hong Kong scenario. Uh, we've still got a very low vaccination rate, uh, about 20% or even less. Uh, because those uh, older people are not uh, so mobile and it's difficult to get them to vaccination centers. And I think the government is now trying to, uh, to, to set up mobile units even to reach the old age homes and to, uh, you know, some of those estates and try to, to do outreach programs. All right, Hopefully uh, they would do that, yeah. Uh, Dr. Kwok, I have a question here from one of our callers. Uh, she's called Sandy. Um, she, she just wants to ask um, there, about a government ad running uh, currently on RTHK, uh, which uh, it says... Uh, 
the first ad, I mean, one of the ads, it says that elderly who took the flu shot are safe to take the COVID vaccine. She wants to know what's the percentage of uh, elderly people who've had the flu shot uh, that have also taken <laughs> the COVID vaccine. Do you have a figure for that? Uh, I do not have an actual figure. But of course, uh, flu, flu shots have been given in the, in the last few years, uh, every season. So um, even older people get used to it, to that. So with this strategy, perhaps it can help some older people who think the vaccine is quite um, dangerous. And uh, they now, now that they, they receive uh, the flu vaccines without any problem, any complications, they might get them to, to do the, uh, this coronavirus vaccines. All right. And uh, should we just uh, talk about uh, also about uh, vaccination for, for teens as well? I mean, because they are also they will also be able to get their second shot from uh, New Year's Day. And um, it's, I mean, and uh, they will also uh, be able to uh, get their shot in the thigh instead of on their arm because of uh, the risk from uh, getting uh, some kind of a uh, heart inflammation. Is that a new thing for vaccination centers? I mean, to give the vaccination shot in the thigh? Mm. Now, uh, that recommendation applies for BioNTech vaccines, <clears throat> not the Sinovac. So in our center in Kunchung, of course, we're, we're giving Sinovac, so we don't have that uh, question at all. Uh, concerning the BioNTech, yes, they can opt to use uh, the thigh injection rather than the arm injection. And um, if, if, they, if they come, if these people, young, younger people, the teens come and want to have that, we can accommodate. And now, because uh, we, we, we still not doing that. I think um, we would um, try to explain uh, why they need that and if they really insist that we, we can give that. All right. And earlier on the program, we we're talking about the uh, possible risk of a fifth wave of COVID outbreak. What's your view on that, uh, Dr. Kwok? Um, yeah, it's, um, the trend seems worrying because we're seeing more Omicrons coming even to Hong Kong, although it's not in the community yet. But uh, um, the, the, the potential of this Omicron virus to spread quite rapidly is, is worrying. I, I think the government is correct in, in saying that uh, we should be more prepared, get more prepared to maybe uh, to get this impending fifth wave of COVID maybe coming. So I think vaccination is one big strategy. We should encourage more people to come and do vaccines and get prepared for this. And Professor Brizzoni, I understand that um, you know there were now more cases, uh, om Omicron cases, um, uh, which have been stopped uh, at uh, our airport uh, or at the um, you know quarantine centres. Ten preliminary positive cases uh, just yesterday, and one of the cases involved an air crew member exempted from quarantine. Now, of course, it's reasonable to give air crew exemption of some kind, but um, what, what do you think of that? Uh, should air crew not be exempted um, from quarantine? Well, that's a policy matter. I think that, uh, you know, you cannot uh, completely uh, lock out uh, a place like Hong Kong from the rest of the world. So there are some... Uh, some exemptions well for example let's let's be clear if you're coming from mainland china you don't have to quarantine as far as i know there are outbreaks in many cities in mainland china nobody you know nobody you you will not you will be exempted just by the fact that you're coming from mainland china so i don't see i don't see where is the problem really hmm. you cannot you cannot block completely everything uh, even precisely in a place like china 
you know, which is very tough measures, still there are outbreaks. So I think that we have the answer. And Professor Brazzoni, we earlier talked about how the government uh, will reopen Asia World Expo for some COVID patients if there is a fifth wave. And the uh, Health Secretary, Sophia Chan, also said yesterday the government uh, would consider the need to uh, tighten social distancing measures if necessary. She didn't specify what that may involve. Uh, what do you think it should involve? Well, I don't know. I, you know, again, I mean, this is, uh, this is something that uh, they need to ponder uh, with respect to to the situation, we don't know what the situation is. Uh, so I think that um, it's uh, it's it's not up to me to make. Uh, I think uh, as a as a researcher uh, working at the university to to make the discussion. We know what can work, uh, and there are a number of considerations when you make uh, when you order restrictions to. Uh, to the freedom of movement, uh, freedom of uh, enterprise, of business, etc. Uh, I think you need to take into account many factors and not just one single factor. Respiratory diseases expert Leung Chi Chu, uh, he says uh, more should be done at the border to prevent any community outbreak of Omicron. And uh, he suggested that Hong Kong should ban transit flights. Uh, do, do you have a view on that, Professor Prisoni? Well, I hope that doesn't happen. That's all my my, my feeling. Okay, that, that this doesn't happen because again, I mean, if we are now scared about Omicron, I mean, this scare is not going to to go away. So I think that we should uh, tackle the situation in a different way, not simply by um, having walls, a sort of uh, uh, around uh, a great wall around Hong Kong. I don't think that this is a good solution. But again, this is more of a political. Uh, and civil discourse, civic discourse is not something that has to do only with public health. You know, this is my, my point, is that it's not just public health. Dr. Kwok, what do you think? I mean, if there is a fifth wave and, and uh, we need to tighten social distancing measures further, what suggestions do you have? Um, I think um, the government is closely <clears throat> watching the situation. And now that there's a slight increase in the number of Omicron, and if there is further increase, and especially there is a sign of uh, cases appearing in a community, that would be the sign that we need to do more stringent strategies uh, like social distancing, masking, and, and all this, trying to stop its spread in the community. Um, now, uh, I think Hong Kong has a pretty, pretty, pretty strict uh, uh, distancing rules already. Uh, but now, of course, we, we can we can uh, go out to restaurant having dinner, you know, twelve people tables and all that. If uh, something worrying happened in Hong Kong in the community, I think more stringent rules will be applied very quickly because of the of the speed of the spread of Omicron is very quickly and very worrying. Well, you know, although we can't really travel outside of Hong Kong, but over the the uh, you know last Christmas uh, weekend, I saw people out in masses and in the shopping malls, um, everywhere in the restaurants. It seems that people are trying to have a good time. Uh, we are still masked. Um, not sure what social distancing means these days because all the restaurants are packed and full. Um, you know, should we be more alert? Or should Hong Kong people be more alert on the, on the fifth wave? <coughs> all be alert all the time uh, like uh, hand hygiene masking and all this uh, personal hygiene thing and social distancing but this social distancing uh, policies 
uh, has certain degrees, a spectrum of degrees, of course. Now we are, we are enjoying uh, a lot of people eating together, but if we have to get uh, uh, you know stricter rules, then we have to limit the number of people, limit the number of people going out together, limiting number of people eating together, and to certain high-risk areas like you know karaoke or bars or you know those places would be kind of again more restriction. That kind of uh, uh, policies, I think, should be should be imposed. If there is further sign of deterioration, like all cases of Omicron coming into the community. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, thanks for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Samuel Kwok, who he who's the uh, co-director of the university, uh, who's the co-director, uh, who is uh, from the uh, who's the director at the clinic at the Kun Chung Sports Center in Jordan. Also, a uh, thank you to Professor Roberto Brizzoni, the uh, co-director of the University of Hong Kong's Pasteur Research Poll. And uh, right now, it's. Uh, 17 minutes past nine and it's time to turn to our second and final topic today and that's the uh, food truck pilot scheme which will come to an end in June after it was first launched in 2017. The decision was announced by the Tourism Commission which said the program has not been able to achieve the policy objective of uh, tourism promotion. To uh, comment we have on the line Ricky Lai, director of the Butchers Club. Good morning Mr Lai. Good morning. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Janice. And thank you for joining us uh, on the program. So what do you make of the government's decision to end this uh, pilot scheme? I think we are naturally disappointed and somehow expected. As if you recall a few months ago, the operator actually learned about that uh, government is going to end the program uh, from the news. Actually, at that time, I went to the food truck office meeting with fellow operator asking the government official to be a bit empathy with the operator uh, to let us know in advance of their next step and if there will be any compensation arrangement. Um, obviously, it didn't happen. So you're not uh, consulted at all uh, over the decision then? Not really. Uh, and some uh, current uh, food truck operators, uh, they, they seem to be quite frustrated by the government's decision because uh, some say they've just started to make a profit and others have just uh, finished paying for their food truck. Do you think it's um, too soon to give up on this pilot scheme? It depends on from which perspective. Food trucks are a business. And if we follow the market economy we are used to working in Hong Kong, the operator will give up when the consumer doesn't need us and it doesn't make economic sense. We don't really need the government to make such a minor business decision for the city, nor for the operator. So it's a decision the operator should make by themselves. Yes, uh, Ricky Lai, if we go back to 2017, I want to ask you, you know, what motivated you to uh, apply to to join this food truck uh, business and to get a food truck license? I think we just believe, I mean, we are part of the local business. Uh, we believe in the, the city, the market. We believe in the government's motivation. Um, it's something not have in that time. And somehow, I mean, I grew up in Hong Kong in very, very local neighborhood. Uh, we miss our food hawker, we miss our little food cart, 
which when I look at some of the hygiene standards could be a big questionable. So the food truck could be an answer to bring back that Hong Kong vibrant street culture. Yeah, but this street culture was short-lived because in, you know, from uh, middle of uh, 2019, um, we had the social unrest and then 2020 and 2021, we had, we still have the pandemic. Um, business has been slow, right? Could you tell, tell us more about, you know, how you operated in the last two and a half years? You are correct that um, the business has been slow with the street protests, with the pandemic, but it doesn't only hit the food truck. I mean, I also operate other restaurants. Uh, go to Line Quay, take a look. It's like a desert at the moment. In fact, uh, I would say the food truck is a very genuine Hong Kong story. Uh, yes, we were told to be uh, go to those tourist spots, which the government bureaucrat tell us where to go. Some of them either no tourists, and later the whole town has no tourists. But we find our own spots. Uh, we actually we identify a location in Taipo, uh, which are very popular by local people. When under the COVID time, they want to enjoy the nature. I am personally discussed with the West Kowloon Cultural District uh, when they invite us to open a restaurant in the compass. But I said maybe a food truck is a better idea. That's before now the, the arts park in the West Kowloon Cultural District is hugely popular. If you haven't been there, I highly invite you to go. You have a wonderful Hong Kong harbor backdrop with the skyline. Uh, is 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 world class. It's really world class. And if you could enjoy a burger or whatever other food truck there, it is a once in a lifetime experience. But uh, if the food truck licenses uh, will be cancelled uh, from middle of um, next year, it means that um, you know your truck cannot be parked at West Kowloon, or or you can have other options. Um, the truck cannot operate when the government revoke its license. It's as simple as that. So we are giving a death sentence. Um, yep, that's, that's as simple as that. So, so how many trucks do you have right now, and uh, what will you uh, do with them? The Butcher's Cup has only one truck, the Butcher's Truck. Um, we are trying to explore other options, but it will not be with the truck. Uh, most people don't know that, but the, the food truck scheme requires multiple licenses, which is more complicated than operating a restaurant. Uh, so once the license is gone, uh, the truck cannot operate. Uh, Ricky, it seems that um, you know the food truck license is a bit um, strange in the sense that uh, the Food and Environmental Hygiene Department uh, issues other licenses in relation to like street hawking and uh, uh, food, uh, other food vendors. But you have to go to the Commerce and Economic Development Bureau and talk to the Tourism Commission. Is that correct? Um, well. This is a bit complicated. Uh, as far as I recall, I think the food truck is under a government funny office called the food truck office, which is under some government bureau. And then, but it, the, the truck has licensed more than I could remember. It's not only the food safety, it has fire, it has engineering. Um, so it's, it's complicated, but in a, in a sense, it's good. It's a very high standard 
scheme is a very high standard operation and it's good protection for the consumers. Well, I know a little bit about, uh, you know, these uh, licenses. And I remember that um, when, you know, I was an urban council member like 20 odd years ago, uh, we kept the uh, ice cream van licenses. So you can still see these vans, um, you know, uh, dotted uh, at uh, entrances of parks uh, in Hong Kong. Um, Can the food truck license be a little bit like the ice cream van license? I think that the question has been uh, pitched by the federal operator since the day one of the scheme. Um, you, I think this is better a question you invite Mr. Edward Yao to answer, not me. But would it be okay for you? Because, I mean, the butcher's club, you have burgers and drinks, uh, while the ice cream van is, I guess, more simple. They just um, sell a softer ice cream. Definitely, as I mentioned that, I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing is the food truck, the element of a food truck is mobility, but the Hong Kong food truck is somehow immobile. Uh, I, I remember one of the weekends, I had a wonderful walk uh, in Daitam, Westerfer, and we came out of the Daitam Road. There is a, 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 a lot of taxi rating for the hiker, and I said, how nice if we could have a food truck here. I could either have a, a soda, a beer, well, we can't sell beer in food truck, uh, a soda or a burger. Don't you think so? So we, this is actually the answer we asked many times and nobody, I mean, the, the question we asked and nobody answered us, why the ice cream truck could, could roving around in the city, but not a highly regulated government approved food truck. Okay, but have you given up all hope? Is there still an opportunity to advocate for um, for a better way out uh, for these food trucks? Because surely you have invested a lot in um, in you know organ- operating the food truck and so on. Um, we are we we put a lot of investment and also effort. Um, we we definitely we are not giving up our hope. And that's one of the reasons why we are talking now. Uh, but we are practical. I mean, as I said, that there's no consultation, um, no dialogue. Uh, we learn everything from the news. The government said the program is finished. Uh, I mean, we could still flip our burger. We could serve our customer. But uh, we cannot operate as a truck, which that's where it starts, right? If the element is the truck could be mobile, could be funny, uh, I, I sent some photos to your colleague. Uh, we had jolly good time in the Christmas Eve in the arts park. We sell Muay, uh, we have mince pie, so it's just fun. Yeah, but it seems a bit sad that uh, you still have only a few more months to go. Um, and, and also, I know that uh, other food truck operators have already given up. Uh, they, um, they have stopped uh, their operations. Is that right? Um, I think a number of them already start, uh, I mean, started their operation because it's a cool reality. At the end, it's a business. We had a little bit luxury is uh, we, we do have a physical restaurant to, to work together, but any restaurant operator has tough time in the last few years in time. But um, I, I mean, we have a very good uh, team 
running the food truck. As I mentioned, uh, yes, the street protest hurt us, the COVID hurt us, but we never give up. We found our way, we found Taipo, we found West Kowloon Park. Uh, we went to the Hong Kong FA, their training ground in Zhengguanou when they start, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we even, we drove the, the truck to Tun Moon, to a factory, to, to fit burger for their the workers. So uh, we, we have been keep trying our way just like a lot of Hong Kong people does. All right, so I have an email here. This one is from Paul. He says, what reasons has uh, the government given for cancelling of food truck licensing? Just that few operators can make a profit is not sufficient enough of a reason. The operator is correct. It should be left to operate whether or not to make use of this license system. This allowing this licensing system and not offering a revised alternative mechanism is lazy. And uh, that email is from Paul. Um, so, so what are you going to do now? I mean, I know. Um, will you be uh, trying to? Will you try to meet uh, officials to talk about this further? Or, I mean, what what will you do next? Um, if I could tell you, it's quite funny enough. Um, the the our usual counterparty in the food truck office uh, at the announcement of the program is going to finish. What she told our colleague is, uh, I'm no longer in this job and the role will not be replaced. And I don't know who you should talk to. Okay. Um, so, so what about the other food truck operators? Do you know what they will be doing? Um, I'm not sure. I think more, uh, there are two types of food trucks. Some are belongs to uh, larger operations. So I heard that some they will turn their truck back to a normal transportation, which is really is a waste. Uh, some, as I mentioned, is, well, you could go back to a hole-in-the-wall restaurant. You could still continue to do your thing. You lost your investment in the food truck, uh, but it's really not really the same. Um, it's no longer a, a truck. All right, uh, Mr. Lai, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Ricky Lai, director of the Butchers Club. Also, many thanks to all of you who commented through email and our Facebook page, and to my co-host Ada and producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather. Uh, it'll be mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches to start with. Sunny intervals later with highs of around 17 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh north to northeasterlies. The uh, very cold weather warning is now in force. And the outlook of fine and dry in the next couple of days with temperatures rising slightly during the day. Right now, it's 14 degrees. Relative humidity is 77%. Plastic bags, decorations, delivery packaging. They're all single-use plastic products. Indiscriminate use of single-use plastics is wasteful and will pollute our environment. Avoid using single-use plastics and make a good habit of going plastic-free at source. What and when to reduce? By how much? Share your views on the website of the Public Engagement on Control of Single-Use Plastics at susdev.org.hk on or before December 29th. It's 9.31, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. The government says no confirmed cases were found after the overnight lockdown of a residential building in Shektong Choi after a person who lives there tested preliminary positive for a mutant strain of COVID-19. About 80 residents were tested, although there was no response at some households, and these are being followed up.
France is the latest European country to tighten restrictions to curb the spread of the Omicron COVID variant. The Prime Minister Jean Castex described the pandemic as feeling like a film without an ending. And President Biden has urged state governors to ask the U.S. federal authorities for help if they struggle to cope with the surge in COVID infections. Mr. Biden told an online meeting Americans didn't need to panic and insisted the country was well prepared to deal with the sharp rise in the cases of the Omicron variant. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. Thanks, Andrew, and good morning. It's the Morning Brew with James Ross. Got pass in pocket. Got battle. I am gonna use it. Intention. Been diving, detour leaning, no reason. Something we can. 